Hey podcast listeners, this is me, Emma, back on the Control-Alt-Delete podcast. Thanks for tuning in again. Um, so yes, today's episode's very exciting. I interviewed a writer whose essay went viral uh, earlier this year. You probably did read it. It was a moving story about a woman and the money that she may need at any given moment to escape a job or a sleazy colleague or even an abusive partner. It was called A Story of the Fuck Off Fund. And I remember when this got published, literally my Twitter feed was on fire with this article. Everyone was talking about it, uh, responding to it. It was retweeted thousands of times and picked up by publications such as Jezebel, Stylist, Refinery29, The Observer, Salon. So many people uh, wrote think pieces about it. It just was everywhere. And it was just such an interesting example of someone who wrote something and it really did just blow up. So I talked to Paulette about that experience, what it's like to go viral, but also all sorts of other things, such as the Writer's Welcome Kit, which is something that uh, Paulette designed. It's basically an amazing writer's course to get anyone interested or um, learn more about the craft. So really hope you enjoy this episode. It's very much for people who are interested in creative careers. Um, She's a really, really cool lady. So yes, hope you enjoy this episode. And thanks again for tuning in to my podcast hope you enjoy so I know that people listening will probably recognize your name from obviously I'm gonna have to start off with mentioning that your viral piece the fuck off fund or this a story of the fuck off fund (laughs) I liked fuck off fund better they added a story of so I just go with fuck off fund usually. <laughs> that straight to the point. Love it. Um, are you bored of people asking about it or is it okay that I'm sort of, I have so many questions? Oh no, I'm, I'm totally clinging to the dying spotlight, slowly fading away now. No, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's really exciting. I'm happy to talk about it because, you know, at, even as it was happening, I was like, this may never happen again. Probably will never happen again. And so I just am loving it and I love that it, was with a piece that I feel like was helping a lot of people, you know, people really, not only was it so much attention, but it was so much positive attention and people saying like, thank you for writing this. And my favorite thing was people saying that, you know, they keep a little journal for their children or for their daughters when they're growing up and that they put that in there. I heard that several times, which was crazy and awesome that's amazing yeah exactly what a great piece to go viral if it's actually you know gonna sort of have that lasting effect did you did you have like any sort of hunch whilst you were writing it that it would just have the effect that it had uh absolutely not and I think anyone who's gone viral will tell you that pretty much and it was funny because I was really struggling in October I just was going through a major slump and I bought a really big five-star notebook, a five-section notebook with about, you know, that it's about an inch thick. And I said, okay, like, this is what I'm doing right now. I'm going to fill this notebook with my morning pages, which is three pages that I write every morning, a la Julia Cameron. Um, and I just focused on that. I said, I don't have to worry about if I'm going to make it as a writer. And I'm friends with a writer here in Seattle named Nicole Hardy and she she and I like to go out and talk about you know and drink wine and eat cheese and talk about how we're terrible at writing and finishing anything so we started an essay exchange and I think this is such an important point for so many writers or creative people is like you can set down these really nerdy 
you know, practices and then this art can come out of them, you know, so that's where this came out of. And I was trying to think of a name for it. And I kept saying to Nicole, like, oh, it's, you know, it's about like a fuck off fund. And she's like, just call it fuck off fund. And I certainly didn't think someone, something would go viral with the F word in the title. So that was fun. <laughs> Actually, that's true. Because um, everyone was quoting it left, right and center. And it, yeah, no one was holding back, you know, just yeah. even though it had the word fuck in it um because I guess it really did just blow up and honestly like I remember just being on Twitter and it was like my whole timeline and I totally understood why I just had to read it like three times um obviously it's amazing when people recognize your work was there any sort of moment of did anyone take it the wrong way well the one critique of it was that in refinery 29 the woman said that she thought it was framed that women are bad with money. And I thought about writing a response to that, but then I was like, you know, it's, it's okay. Like people are allowed to have different opinions and it is hard when you are a stereotype that you don't want to perpetuate, but you're like, this is true for me that I am bad with money. I know a lot of guys who are bad with money too, you know, but I think that, you know, she's trying to protect women and protect women's reputations. And so it it came from a good place, you know, and then just people wanting to know the story behind it and stuff and how much is true and how much is my own experience. I would say it's pretty much a, someone called it a parable. And I liked that, that it was kind of a parable based on my own experiences. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like that's why things go viral is because it's not necessarily the piece itself that people are like really clinging to every line. It's more that the kind of the topic raised and the kind of guidelines can relate to each individual in a different way. Sadly, I think it went so viral because so many women know what it's like to be financially powerless. And when that moment collides with someone who is trying to take advantage of you, and I think that someone, when there is someone in charge of your paycheck or your rent, and they know they have that position of power, they're more likely to take advantage of you. Yeah. Oh my God. A hundred percent. And I guess hard having that dash of just like safety money but it totally resonated with me I feel like money can be such a root of anxiety in so many ways so do you you still kind of when did you first discover that it was helping you personally and and have you kind of evolved this strategy of having the fuck off fund has it grown in any way I definitely made myself listen to this guy Dave Ramsey every day. And I I really just had to hit a place that was unacceptable for me and to say, to really take my own, um, I think going abroad really helped me see that how much of it was my own fault. I was really just flailing through life, like waiting for the next person to come save me. And I had to realize that I had to save myself. And so when I looked at some of the lowest points of my life, places where I was really uncomfortable and felt really helpless, a lot of it had to do with finances. And so to say, to do like a first things first, I'm really a nerd about reading guides to living life. (laughs) And one of them is the seven habits of highly effective people. And I hate that it has such a nerdy name. It's like the nerdiest name in the world. But that book really did help me create a much more comfortable life for myself. And one of the rules is first things first. So you, when you think about what is first for me and you decide, okay, my financial freedom and my, I think when you have money, you are, your integrity can be much more intact because when you are broke and when you're desperate, 
the thing that you're willing to bend is your integrity to get more money or to be like, well, I feel, you know, let's say you're in sales and your product, you don't believe in your product. You feel like you're scamming the people you're selling to, but you need that job. Even that is uncomfortable, you know? So when you have that money as a backup, you're more able to wait for the right opportunities. And that just is such a good feeling and a feeling that I had never known before. Yeah, I know. It was it was really kind of very moving your piece because you know you're on quite a journey. Because by the end, you're you've come through the other side, and you can tell that you're reflecting on some some really hard times. This kind of um, thing about sort of feeling uncomfortable sometimes with what we have to do for like a commercial value. I was mm-hmm. just wondering, in the context of writing, how how does that play out? Because sometimes you know sometimes we have to write things you know, that we've been commissioned for money that we might, you know, believe in, but it's not really kind of like as artistic as we'd like it to be, for example. How do you kind of, um, how does that relate to your writing life? Do you only write when you feel like it's something that you can really get behind or could you write for money in that sense? Yes, I definitely write for money. <laughs> and that's a it's, a, it's a question that I've really brought up with my friends and said, hey, this publication wants me to write for them. Some of their stories I don't like or I don't, I don't know. As a whole, I don't know what they're adding to society. But then you can say, okay, well, I'm just in charge of what I say. I'm, I believe that I'm at a point where I'm never going to, you know, lie. Or I just got signed up for this website that wants me to do um, some reviews of certain software. And they say, you know... There's definitely, like, we're an affiliate site, but it will not affect your editorial whatsoever. And I'm like, okay, you know, as long as that's true, that's fine. As long as I get to write the truth for me and mostly focus on topics. I mean, it depends. It's like, this. it's an inverse relationship. It's one of those graphs, you know, where it's like, the more money you're making, the less likely you are to be interested in the topic. And I think the better that you get as an artist the more you get to have both of those things. People are going to be willing to pay you for what you actually want to write about. I'm already starting to see that in my life, which is really exciting. And so it just makes me want to practice more and hone my craft and, and get better, you know, because Susan Orlean is just on contract with The New Yorker. They're like, what do you want to do? She's like, I'm going to go to a taxidermy convention and write about that. And they're like, okay, you know, I'm sure they're giving her like $5,000 per article probably. And so that's the dream. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, it's, I have a nephew and you know, I always am trying to like mentor him. And I'm like, if you get, if you be, if you get good at almost anything, you can make a living at it. So it's really comes back to how much you are willing to practice and put into it because the more you practice and put into it, the more value you can bring to other people and the more control and freedom you have as an artist. So definitely still write for money on topics that aren't my number one choice. I don't go against my morals or my ethics, but um, definitely I consider what I'm writing and not the publication as a whole. You know, we talked about that. I'm like, I wouldn't write for like Nazi monthly, but you know, it's things that are kind of, not my favorite topics or I don't know I'm not very into like beauty stuff but I definitely write for a lot of magazines that include beauty and I talked about like when your friend has a weird facial hair coming out and that's you know that's like my weirdo 
take on beauty is like, what do you do when your friend has a chin hair, you know? <laughs> so, so yeah, it's always a consideration. Yeah, no, I know exactly. I know what you mean when you say, you know, you have to kind of weigh it up. And that is exactly the point is some people treat writing like it's not a proper legitimate job where you should get paid to the value of what you're providing because it is exactly the same as doing any other craft or doing any other job. It's like you're getting better at it and then therefore later down the line you you should be in a better position to charge for that skill. Totally. I've said now I'm like, okay, I think I'm at a point where I'm not going to write for free anymore. Unless it's something I really like, like someone wants to make a short film out of Fuck Off Fund and, you know, she said, like, we're going to do this and it could go gangbusters and be really fun or we could just be doing it for fun. And there's a lot of writing I just do for fun. You know, when you did it for free for, I've been writing for free for like 10 years. So, you know, but overall, as far as the stuff that I'm not that into, I'm not going to do that for free anymore. Yeah, that was actually a question I was going to ask um, about this, you know, writing for free, because I feel so torn sometimes. And I know that now I wouldn't write for free, you know, for anyone other than my own blog. But actually, um, you know, I did write for free on the Huffington Post blogs network in like 2009, 2010. And I used that platform to interview really interesting people. And that actually led to a paid writing um, gig at another magazine. And I felt Mm -hmm. like without doing the free stuff, I couldn't have got to a point of actually showing anyone my work. Do you feel like it's so, you know, it's okay, like you say, you wrote for free for like 10 years. Do you feel like that's still the way to go, that you just kind of have to put yourself out there so much and then draw the line? Yes. I think that's true in almost any art and craft. And that is a test for a while for how dedicated you are. And I think a question... You know, some people, if you're working in clay, at least with writing, I can go do business proposals. A lot of arts and crafts, you're never, it's so much harder to get paid for. So that is a question every artist has to ask himself or herself is, would I be willing to do this for free for the rest of my life? Like, if I never got paid, would I still be doing this? I think that can be kind of a test period. But then you definitely, once you get good, you have to draw that line in the sand. And that is a, that is a question for every artist. And I see so many memes about like, I just saw one this morning about exposure bucks. You know, people are always asking you to write for exposure. But if you say, okay, I have eight hours in the working day, which is not true for me. I work like 12 hours a day on random stuff. Let's say you're like, okay, I have 12 hours today. I have this person who's willing to offer me $400 to write them an essay. And I have this person who wants me to write one for free you are able to say no to that person who wants you to write for free. But if you only have a person who wants you to write for free and that's your only option right now, maybe go for that, you know, until you, you attract those other people who are willing to pay you. And I guess having that, having that job and then having the side hustle that is writing, I feel is quite important to bring up because people assume like, oh, if you write for free, it's like, well, how do you, how does that work? And actually I think the point is that you have another job and it tests you that actually if you can write on the side as well as having a job you must really really want it (laughs) yeah I did three years at a tech company I did proposals for them and you know what I was whiny about it the whole time I just wanted to be on a porch writing in Seattle all day I didn't want to have a 
bit, I didn't want to have a day job. I wanted to just be a writer, but that was really good training for me in a lot of ways. I did sales writing, so I became able to sell things through writing. I got one of my first publications from something I learned in sales, which is keep the conversation going. I got a really nice rejection letter from Salon. I kept the conversation going, said, would you be willing to see a rewrite? They said yes, and I got published there. And that is a time period. So I used that time to get myself out of debt, and that really helped me set myself up to be an artist. So now I'm at the point where I've half quit my day job. I have, um, I have a job that's 20 hours a week, and, you know, I think I, I always think about it like if your kid comes to you and says, I want to be an artist. One thing parents could say is, well, get a skill where you make $50 an hour. Because there are people out there making $500,000 a year. So if you say, if I get a really high-paid job, but I work 20 hours a week, I can just have like an okay salary. And so that's kind of my scam right now. I always joke things are my scam. It's not really a scam, but you know, it's just a plan. And I, one of the things that helped me by living abroad for two years in Paraguay in Peace Corps which is an American program where you go volunteer for two years, is it took all the rules off of life. Life is so wild, and we think we have to take this prepackaged plan, and you really don't. You have time, you have money, and you have the depth of your experience as a human, and you really can do so much with those three constraints. You know, and the more money you make, usually the less time you have, and so you kind of go back and forth as an artist and... There's a lot of people who are doing it, and I think the more that young artists study, how are people doing this? And I've never been able to get up at 5 a.m. and write for three hours before work. I just, I just had to be like, I'm not that kind of person, you know? But so I really, I'm studying InDesign right now, and I do a lot of the, the nerdiest kind of graphic design and business proposals, and, you know, I just want to become a really, someone who can be of, a lot of value to businesses when they need a really good proposal done. That's just my side hustle. And then I also have the Writer's Welcome Kit, which is something, uh, an e-course I made that's offered through a writing center in Seattle called Hugo House. It's all online. It looks so, so good. How, when, so when did that, um, when did you finish that? I finished that, it's actually kind of a continuous improvement project where because it is digital, I keep adding to it. So it's, it was pretty much finished the end of 2015, but I keep getting more interviews with authors and just adding more content to it. And it's basically, it's the thing that I got to learn because I lived in a city that had an arts community that I wasn't getting when I lived in suburban Florida. You know, those conversations that, oh, there's, I, I took a class with a novelist and now we're all going out to drinks after and, he, you know, we kind of are sitting around and he's like, oh, well, here's how it really is. I was like, oh, I didn't know, you know. So in the Writer's Welcome Kit, I have an article or a lesson on your side hustle, you know. Yeah, I love that. It's, it's so good to have these sorts of things because I think, like you say, there are no rules. So actually having something that's like quite broad that can just kind of push you in the right direction but also just be really helpful and practical is so useful. Has it taken you a while to get to that place? Because I feel like one inherent thing about social media is it's so easy to look at what other people are doing. And actually, <sighs> it's so hard sometimes. I feel like, you know, I am lucky to know that I know exactly what I want, but it doesn't mean that other people don't sort of make judgments on that. So it's kind of, 
it's weird actually to not want what everyone else wants and not want the normal sort of packaged up life and rebelling against that in any way people can kind of have a bit of a weird point of view do you feel like you can just kind of do your thing now and you don't try not to compare well comparing yourself with others is always hard and I don't know anyone who has fully escaped that trap and that's another good thing about being friends with other writers and having a community is you see that in other people and I see that in my friend who has several books published you know that it's never you're never like oh this whole time I could have been making you know $80,000 a year being like a director of marketing somewhere and like I could have a like a nice house you know like that could be nice um but one I will say that one thing that affected me and I learned about this through Malcolm Gladwell's book David and Goliath he said so many artists lost a parent when they were young and once you go through that the difficulty of being an artist doesn't seem so bad anymore so it kind of breaks people open to live a deeper life and I lost my father when I was 17. And I was talking about that at a party of writers. And it was me and two other writers on the couch. And we realized we had all three lost a parent young. So I think my two formative experiences are losing my dad so young and doing Peace Corps and, and living abroad for two years. And that really helped me also see how little you really need to be happy. Because we had so much fun and my house was 230 square feet, you know. And I had, if I had more than four people over, we had to, like, four people had to eat first. Then we had to wash the plates because I only had four plates. And then everyone else could eat. You know, and it was just so, it was just uh, the base level of experience and just so fun. So uh, that really helped me see that, you know, you have to make a certain amount of money for sure. And that's not, it's not necessarily easy. You just have to hustle harder if you're going to be an artist. You know, you have to find a way to kind of live two lives at once, one where you're making the money and, you know, setting yourself up for, because I don't, like, I don't want to be a starving artist. You know, I want to be a hustling artist. I like going out and getting drinks with my friends. I like traveling. And there's definitely those people who are going to sit in their studio apartment in, you know, like having no money. And, and I just, I, I like to make money. I don't know. It does not sound terrible, but I've definitely had no money and I've had money and I like making money more, but I still want to be an artist. So I'm constantly trying to figure that out. Yeah. And oh my God, I know what you mean. It's like, you don't have to have one or the other, but also I feel like we're living in such a interesting time because I feel so lucky that I can Google and read and follow interesting people mm-hmm. and actually feeling like you can connect with other people and how they choose to live their lives you know, not exactly the same, but you can take bits from it. I feel like it can really add to how you decide to live. It's so cool. And one of the things that helped me was being a reporter for three years. And you talk to so many different kinds of people. And I feel like every person you meet who's living a different life than you gives you permission to live that way or to know that that's an option. You know, we're all talking about Prince And I'm like, oh, Prince, he was so pure and so good. And we can all choose to be a little bit more like him if we want to. If we say, God, I wish I just was a total badass like Prince, you can say, well, I can try. You know, I can be a little more princely in my life. And one of the people who I was talking with on Twitter was, uh, he lived in Nigeria, 
And I was like, I think it's so cool to see people reading my work in Nigeria. And he said, when you write, you write for the whole world. And I was like, oh, man. And that's, you know, that's something that is a little difficult for me as I, you know, I've gotten an agent now through that Fuck Off Fund article. And we're working on me possibly doing a financial memoir about my relationship with money throughout my life. Amazing. I would love to read that. Oh, yeah. It's. I'm having some resistance because, oh, it's so hard to be like, oh, I was like an American with victim mentality for so long because my family went broke when I was young. But it's like when you, you know, you're writing for the whole world. And I think I do have something to say about this bubble that Americans are in. You know, I didn't know, I didn't know what my story was because I was in this bubble, how lucky I still was, you know, and I, in America, we have, a lot of negativity going on about people feeling, you know, really broke and downhearted. And it's like people who there's so many people who are struggling so, so hard around the world. And we don't see those people. You know, we just watch our three hours of reality TV. We watch the Kardashians. We say, I don't have a mansion. My life is sad. And then we go to bed, you know, and then we wake up the next day and go to our job And so it's like this cycle where we don't open up and see the reality of our lives a lot of times. So I'm trying to figure out how to get people through the first chapters where I'm like, well, I can't afford to go shopping at the mall. And then only later realize like, oh, I do not have a sob story at all. You know? Yeah, I know what you mean. And it's like, like money is one currency, but then there's so many other types of currency, I feel like. Definitely. Like sometimes... um, I'll just have an amazing experience and like London's really expensive but there are things that you can do for free mm-hmm. and you know you just have to kind of find them you know whether it's like an exhibition or whatever and I can go home and just be like I had such a good day and I didn't spend any money mm-hmm. and it's like you know handbags and buying expensive shoes does not make me happy at all it used to for like five minutes and it's kind of the shift in my mind of like what's actually going to last or longer. Oh yeah. So well, my book, my life was totally changed by this book. Barry Schwartz wrote the paradox of choice. I can't even tell you how much he just was. He just solidified everything that I had been thinking about. And there's something called the hedonistic treadmill where you get basically the idea is that we get used to everything. So when you buy a handbag, you have that five minutes of happiness about that handbag, and then you get used to it, and it does, it's not a lasting experience, and he talks about how it, spending more money on experiences is what really gives you a good life, and it's so nice to be in a place where I know what makes me happy, and you have to, we, there's so much money spent on advertising and convincing us that the bag will make us happy. So then we buy the $500 bag. We make sure everyone sees the logo. Oh, did you see my new bag? And the logo is like this code where we, know, we all know how much money you spent on that bag from the logo. It's just, it's literally just a way of being like, I have $500 and I spent it on this bag. Yeah. It's so, it's so weird when you really think about it. Like I remember when I went to New York for the first time and it was when one of the new Abercrombie shops had opened and there was like a line all the way down the street for like, yeah, it would have taken them hours to get in. And I just had this thought where I was like, they are queuing for something with a stitched on 
little <laughs> moose logo like why why are they why are we kind of why do people queue up just for a little symbol that's just stitched on it's crazy yeah but i mean the amount of people who are sitting in rooms right now thinking about how to make people do that and how to make people feel a certain way and i mean it's the people who work in marketing know so much more about our brains than we do and how to hack them and push this button so that we have this action like it's the scale of it is insane and the money that's spent is insane, you know? So I think I'm really, I'm excited when I see kids taking like a gap year and traveling the world. Like you gotta, you gotta get out of the bubble somehow, you know, you have to at least peek out there. And I already feel I've been back from Peace Corps for six years and I'm already like, God, I got to take a big, a big trip somewhere. You know, I got to get back in touch with reality. I guess um, I wanted to end with asking um, on a positive note. Obviously, the Fuck Off Fund has led to other opportunities. Do you think there is normally this myth that like you do get tons of exposure and then everything's sorted? I mean, how has that been for you? Is it like has it kind of changed things now? Absolutely. Oh yeah, uh, and I busted out the Excel spreadsheet early, and I think one of the coolest things for me was. I had been placing all these bets and every time you go out into the world and you, for example, start your website when you only have one or two publications or you start your Twitter as a writer, um, my Facebook page is just Paulette is a writer because to say that was really hard for me to say I'm going to be a writer. And then once I had all that set up, it was much easier for people to find me once I did go viral. If I had gone viral and people said like, oh, she's like, if I had been scrambling to start a Twitter account during all that time and had zero followers, you know, the next day after fuck off fund, I think that I would not have been able to uh, leverage it as much as I did, you know? So anyone who, anyone who talked about fuck off fund, I emailed them if they were at like Inc or Forbes. And I just said like, Hey, um, thank you so much for talking about it. I'm glad you like my work. Here's my resume. If you guys need anything, like I'd love to write for you. And I probably sent that to about 30 people. I ended up getting work in Cosmo, Marie Claire, Stylist UK. I really love working with them. They've been one of my most steady, um, steady outlets. And I got an article in the New York Times. And you know what? Once you get one that is on my bio for the rest of my life. Like, I don't care if I never write for them again. The first thing you're going to hear is that my work appeared in the New York Times. And so it's just this way to kind of add on and keep building, you know? It's amazing. It's such a positive story. I just love it because it just means that there is this sort of, like, happy ending when it comes to just working your ass off for, like, so many years. And just getting so good at what you do to the point where you write something and it just goes everywhere and then you know the internet is helping you spread your work and it's great yeah it's it's really cool and you know but it still looks the same as it's looked for the last 10 years i wake up i make coffee i write three pages in my notebook and so i think that those years when no one else is looking is a great test because even even as it was happening i mean i was like at my day job you know, and it, it was so funny because no one at my day job cares. I'm like, I'm like, it was just so funny. The experience of it is always 
going to be almost the same as before anyone cares. It's just you, your pen, and your paper, you know, and you have to love that. Or it's still, uh, you know, you, even when you have a great viral article, you're still coming back to that. That's still the thing. And it is really exciting to get paid for your writing and really exciting to um, be able to feel legitimate because someone told you you're a writer. That's nice, you know. But the nicest thing is coming back and, and feeling like you are a writer for yourself and that you have this relationship with writing that, that no one else can touch. You know, if I had another article go viral and everyone suddenly hates me because my article sucked so bad and it ruins my career, I'm still going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to write my three pages. I mean, that's the real work of being an artist, which is what I've, you know, it's craft and then the art is coming to, coming to the world as you are. I mean, I wrote about a time that I pretty much lost like $50,000 and that had haunted me for so long. And once I wrote it and published it, I, it's like, it's like the tradition of confession, you know, and the truth will set you free and coming to the world as yourself and, you know, making your particular experience universal is, uh, is a very beautiful aspect of, of the life of being a writer or an artist, I think. If you like this episode, please remember to leave a review or a rating on iTunes. It would mean so much to me. Also, um, tweet me at Girl Lost in City on Twitter. I'd love to hear your feedback. So thanks so much again for listening and make sure you tune in next week. <laughs>